Welcome to the Myrals of Better podcast. This is not becoming a daily podcast, I promise. I, it feels that way. I know I even recorded an original version, which I'm not going to be putting out, so it feels like it's becoming a daily podcast. Just mysterious, just the way it happens, and shout-outs in particular to my wife here, because she's taking the girls on a purchasing and delivery ice cream run with her sisters, or to her sisters, so I have at least 45 minutes to actually put out an edit this podcast, potentially. Who knows? Anyway, let me get started. Shoutouts firstly to Barney Dicker and apologies because it turns out that he's never actually read the stuff that I wrote for Alluvial Plains and I delivered the stuff in a, I don't know, sometime, I want to say this year, it probably was even earlier, it was probably last year, I put some Google Docs online, felt embarrassed about how little was in there, I think David Sermon probably read them but maybe no one else read them and wow it was one of these things where i felt embarrassed about putting them online because they were so partially done but i didn't even read them follow forward t-shirts made what have you and yeah barney's last appearance on this particular recording i'm not going to quote the man but he said certain things about my doing with his rules and yeah i just assumed oh he's obviously read them because <laughs> that's why i felt about my rules too so it's kind of an embarrassing thing anyway he, he, he never read the rules so it's not like Anyway, that whole thing, I think, is effectively squashed. One of the interesting things that he did mention in our correspondence, we had a few backwards and forwards, large part both of us kind of mutually apologising. So I had written nothing in my rules about players, and he had written nothing in his rules about gems. <laughs> somewhere between there, yeah, somewhere between there, there's one person. So shout-outs to Barney Decker. I do feel like apologising to him. I'm not sure why, but I'm just apologising because I felt like I don't know. I'm pretty flippant with the guy on the podcast, and yeah, he doesn't want to be recording audio or anything about this thing. He doesn't even think there's a beef there, so clearly just rules were missed being read, and yeah, I don't know. Some degree of interpretation, wrong thing, wrong time, wrong stuff just going on, which is why I'm not even... No, I mean, the podcast I recorded last contained a couple of stories in it not relating to Barney Decker or really anything, mainly actually relating to work, which is kind of curious. I just thought it's not appropriate for me to put this podcast out, so I'm re-recording it. Also, shout-outs to Spencer Game. Now, I will say, I don't know if David Sermon will ever listen to the audio of the last recording. He might. Who knows? This whole thing has become a bit more abstract than just, like, I need to play an old-school, like, D&D campaign that ticks a bunch of boxes. The deeper question is... Like, what do I look for in D&D campaign? And I went back to the old school renaissance and all the websites and wikis. Not really a big wiki fan myself. Let's just move on from that. Anyway, so went back to all these things and tried to get a sense of like what... Because literally I recorded 18 minutes of audio of me explaining what I thought of what I was looking for. And then I went back and like, you're talking about an emotion and cognitive space. And like, it was all very weird. One thing also, another thing about Barney Dicker's correspondence, he said, we'll all get together one day. And even if we're wearing nappies, my perspective is, having changed a bunch of them in the recent past, that um, my aim is to either be in some hippie colony in Cornwall or some hippie colony in Yorkshire and hopefully clothing optional and hopefully I don't necessarily, clothing option doesn't necessarily need to apply to Barney Dicker, but when we get together, the old folks home will be... um, yeah, no one's wearing any nappies. Thank you very much. So, I've already kind of decided that existentially that, I don't know. I'm, anyway, it's all getting too deep and too dark already. Let's just move on from this. So, Spencer, the one, the only, a gentleman who I already, like, it's interesting. 
I'd already thought in my mind that Spencer Game is like, uh, you know, David Sermon, Spencer Game, Barney Dicker to a certain extent. Like, these people have various aspects of the GM tropes that my friend uh, Matt, Matt Gibson, who's appeared in previous recordings, may never appear in future recordings, but certainly was a large part of my gaming life and direction. I kind of already interpreted that they are having great D&D games, and which is purely my hope. <laughs> anyway, so what is this thing? Well, in the original recording, I talked about the thing that my the company I work for put out called Bandersnatch, because that was a, well, at least in the company I work for, an intellectual movement towards a particular period of time in the 1980s in England. Probably all false, like the Thatcher period. Well, a lot of these things, with the English gaming at least, was a reaction to the Thatcher period. So it's important to put that out there. But then I read all this stuff online, and of course, like, no one even owns a passport in this country. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, my American listeners, particularly my Canadian listeners, I'm paraphrasing. The people here who listen to this podcast clearly also own passports. But I guess my view is that I've always had the history of computing as the history of computing in the US, along a very tight series of lines. And then, mysteriously, there was a BBC Micro, mysteriously, in... Europe, there were computers that were created. I mean, the Amiga. Well, Commodore 64. I mean, who's even arguing here? So, you know, there's a bunch of stuff where there's a kind of Pax Americana view. And when I started reading the old school, look, without question, the original Monster Manual, the Chainmail Bikini, do not get me wrong. Like, these things are important. These things are incredibly important. Certainly, in describing what I wanted to dispense, my thought was... Like, really nothing... The Dungeon Master's Guide, the original Dungeon Master's Guide that I've got on my bookshelf, look, without question, hoarder, hoarder, hoarder. Far too many of these original books I own now because at some time, some late night on a Friday, Barbalay hits up eBay and like, gotta own that book now. And unfortunately, that's the nature of my library. But for me, Bandersnatch might be an idiom to a bunch of you. It was... So Bandersnatch itself, like the Bandersnatch is a creature, it's a mythical creature, variety of different forms, some demonic, some not so demonic, some very small, some very big, it's a bit of a, anyway, there was a game made called Bandersnatch which had a particular history. Here I want to shout out, people just do nothing, and the in particular there's a character on people just do nothing who was also in Bandersnatch, who I've been following the original comedian and all stuff on Instagram and yeah, I follow his videos and he occasionally does some freestyle rapping. He's a very interesting guy. So, love that guy. Can't think of his name right now. But anyway, so Bandersnatch was a thing for me. Well, it wasn't really a thing. For, well, it was kind of a thing for me because of work. But for me, it's Write Your Own Fantasy Games by Usborne Books. Usborne is still a publisher. My little girls, have, I bought, buy Usborne Books for my little girls currently because they are just some of the best children's books and they're kind of chew friendly not totally chew friendly but back in the day and you used to be able to get these for free pd you can still i think get them if you write your own fantasy against usborne u-s-b-o-r-n-e i believe this was like a formative book in my childhood all this stuff is like childhood emotion as well which is why it's really difficult to answer a question which is why i failed the first time but for me specifically it's a series of these books holding them in their hands smelling them getting a sense of them, just the monster manual. Really, it doesn't have to be any particular version of the original Advanced Dungeons & Dragons monster manual. I say the original one. I don't like the follow-on letters, numbers, what have you. But anyway, like, it's these kind of things. It's a particular imagery. Now, there's an American version of this thing, and there, and there is a very much a British, 
UK version of this thing. I'm sure they were doing it in Scotland as well. There is a very different set of emotions associated with the American stuff and the British stuff and the British interpretation of the American stuff. And look, the same has happened with regards to Warhammer 40,000 played in the US. I'm going to send a shout out here to Nurgling because Nurgling tried to get me to decompress this. I think I probably referenced Bandersnatch and some other stuff and completely dropped off the conversation. So I have this feeling, this feeling occasionally, I have this conversation occasionally with a variety of folk about what makes this particular time, this particular aesthetic, the fact that the universe was there created for you already. That's the one thing I got out of the first recording and you were there to explore it. Now, I was growing up in Australia at the time. I didn't have Margaret Thatcher. I had Bob Hawke, very different leader, very different leader, although there was some linking to them. But anyway, very different leader, very different politics, very different situation. Same kind of, well, not as brutal as England, but the same kind of movement to away from socialism to the kind of new left, which obviously became Blair and you know, became Keating in Australia. Keating's daughter was one of the people that seen with Epstein. I mean, the whole thing is very curious. Anyway, so different time in Australia, different experience in Australia, dealing very much with friends who had family in the UK that they were... Like, I have family in the UK, but we weren't communicating with my family in the UK until I went and met them and started communicating with them. So very much relying on friends who had family in the UK that were willing to send them these incredibly expensive, I don't know, unfathomable books and magazines and stuff from England. Like, the whole, my whole thing with regards to Initial Games Workshop is literally sitting in a friend's room that stank. I mean, the room stank. And friends stank occasionally, too. And... Thumbing through these strange magazines in England that just had an aesthetic and an emotion. Part of it is probably 2000 AD. Part of it's probably Judge Dredge. Part of it's probably something associated with the UK aesthetic. I tried to talk about this with Nurgling. Failed dismally. Bandersnatch, for my experience at least, was an attempt to recreate certain elements of that LSD usage. Other things completely outside the remit of this particular recording. But, you know, there were a bunch of things in there. The transition of Thatcherism is just so bizarre and reactionary and there's a bunch of things going on where people are starting to feel in, in a small number of people at least are starting to feel like they have money and a large number of people are striking on the regular and the whole thing is very curious i think there's a film called or there's a series called this is england which is really tries to capture this element as well but difficult really to capture so my view with regards to old school dnd uh, well, not old school, like a proper D&D game, like one that I want, has elements of the American aesthetic and the British aesthetic, the UK aesthetic, right next to each other. And it's interesting, actually, my conversations with Barney Dicker, I think all these conversations have been recorded. I talked to him about Warhammer fantasy roleplay, which was a big thing in my life, an influence in my life, because obviously my friends, I have the original book here as well. Welcome to my world. And it was a big influence on me because the aesthetic and the grit and the grayness and the cobblestones, rain stoke, soap, you know, fungus infested cobblestones, like the whole thing associated with the British aesthetic was just so heavily ingrained in Warhammer, Warhammer 40,000. I've talked with people, uh, Ian uh, Merritt in particular, who was the lawyer at GW through this whole, well, it's not a formative period because I met Jackson and Livingston, right? Jackson and Livingston basically did what they did for, I want to say, eight to ten years, possibly more. And then the coffers were sufficiently large. The finances were sufficiently great. that basically Games Workshop became this creative epicenter of artists and writers and model sculptors and all these things that came, came together. 
And Games Workshop, without question, has completely framed some of these elements, in particular because they were the original importers before they opened TSR UK of Dungeons and Dragons in England. So, and in the UK and the broader UK. In fact, most of Europe, I think. I think they basically own the rights to importing, which was very interesting because they physically took the paper books and moved them to England and sold them. Like, they didn't actually start publishing the books. Well, maybe until TSI UK. Don't know the history. Um, the Grognard podcast with Dirk the Dice, who's also a, a, a fan and a participant in a number of Barney's ventures, is really central here as well. He captures a lot of that by interviewing a lot of the original people. So my perspective is, because I was growing up in Australia at the time, is I had the American stuff and I had the British stuff when I could get my hands on either of them. And I had a bunch of photocopies and it was really, really hard to get the original books and all this other kind of stuff, which just explains the past 15 years of my life. Thank you very much. And it was really just a thing. It was a mindset. It was an expansive space that I could play in without worrying about, you know, I don't know. I mean, like when I play in history, it's not the same thing. Like you're actually reading books about, you know, training Cub Scouts to become the power of military. Whereas when you're reading in fantasy, you can just explore and learn a bit, bit about the history, learn a bit about the background to it in some regard. But it's all free expansion and your your ability to read, your mind, your all these things is what's cultivated through that. And this is basically what ruined my youth, why I was desperate and dateless for many years. And thankfully, at least I learnt the, the better parts of personal hygiene somehow. Anyway, so in answer to Spencer's question, my view is that a good D&D game contains elements of the grittiness, elements of the what I would call the UK scene, as well as elements of the American game. And folks that play just the American game are not getting the full spectrum of the experience. I always like the complexity and, you know, I just like that element. So what I'm looking for here, I think I've almost described it, uh, is a combination of originally American rules played out in a with with uk sentiment uk grit and just a degree of like now the the current rule system for dungeons and dragons is incredibly clinical which goes back to chris abbott's comment that it's not the same game basically and i kind of agree with him but it the the background to it the freedom that it gave you and i think about this with regards to talking about dungeon mastering in general was that you didn't have to actually pick up exactly the crisp fresh rules which is basically what i did when i played D&D as a GM for 5th edition was like it's going to be something like this it's going to be a little bit like that but the main thing is that people actually come every week and have a decent time and you know it's not people being shouted over and stuff like that it's actually like a, a really good friendly interaction of playing in the mental space in a way so have I actually described this for Spencer game I'm going to have to take his feedback on what I'm talking about because Certainly, I mean, I found this with Barney. His experiences were not of, well, I mean, some aspect of thatch here in England, but not like the originators of Games Workshop had with regards to, I mean, I think the, the orcs are named after Thatcher's characters and stuff like that. So it's not Thatcher as in the Civil War, uh, whatever the fellow's name was. Uh, he still is, actually. The misappropriation of the English Civil War. Was it the English Civil War? No, it was the Revolutionary Wars. It was Napoleonics. It was the, yeah, the Napoleonic stuff. Let's move on from that. So, yeah, it's very much a, um, it's just a mindset. It's just a mindset that I want to return to in my life. And part of it is, I talk about the books and the, the stuff here and what have you. 
But I used to have an ability just to hold in my mind, in my mind and my hands, both my mind and my hands, actual paper versions of the stuff that impacted me, which are around me currently on bookshelves with glass in front of them. It's just not the same thing. So what I'm looking to do is create an environment where here we have to talk about the module. The module in and of itself is an emotion and experience. And certainly uh, the nature of the early TSR modules were very much like, okay, so here's the module. Here are the rules in the module. Oh, this is interesting here. Plays out. Here's a, like a pad of paper that you're going to basically have to write around the module to make the module fit your experience and your behavior. In the process of writing this, it meant that when you actually came to play the game, the module became secondary. It was optional in terms of the map. And most of the time, as I might have narrated, I haven't in this podcast. I've narrated my own writing, which no doubt once they might eventually be published, didn't actually exist. So, like, I intentionally did not put the original module maps and stuff up because I gamed with a bunch of, I don't know, I don't even have French to use for these people. They were just horrible gamers. I just, they constantly, maps would be ripped up and torn and grabbed and, I. And I'm not even talking about the, the games where I play with people's sisters. That's another story. So, I think, Spencer, I've tried to address your question. A lot of it is to do with emotion. A lot of it is to do with, like, this latent stuff. I want to talk a little bit about that because that was in the first podcast that I did want to bring into the second recording. I had a... I, walking is a big thing for me currently. Do a lot of it to it first thing in the morning. I had an emotion at some stage, either walking or I've reflected on through my walks, about a collector of a particular kind of miniatures. There was a particular kind of miniature collector that I observed in my childhood that made sense to me, associated with an aesthetic and the coherence and all these kind of things. The miniatures from my childhood no longer exist. Like, literally, I, I may have told this story in this recording. I'll tell it again. When I turned 17, 18, I gave away everything, I think. I think I might have my original monster manual. I'm not even sure if I threw it away, but... I have a bunch of stuff that are original just mysteriously that somehow was held onto, but I gave a lot of stuff away. And in giving it away, particularly with regards to miniatures, they had a different impression on me. Like a large portion, like I have a collection of squats, for example, which are space dwarfs. And it's nothing like my original collection of squats, but it's an homage to that. Like, for example, there's a squat groupie in there. There's a large female bionic woman in the Citadel range who was something at some stage. And she's just a squat groupie that fits in there. Not a lot of trikes, which were in the original. Not a lot of uh, exoskeleton armor, which were my original squat army. But someone had some aesthetics when they put this thing together. And that is the eye and mind. And shout-outs in particular to Nurgling, but also Rochi Rochford, that is so central. And I think, so I was like, okay, so I have this implicit, it feels like an emotion, but actually it's just remembering a certain set of things. I've never, re never hit in the past however many years, I don't think. And it just came up in my mind, it was like, it's this thing. Now, how do I describe that to people? I'm damned if I know. And basically, this is what Spencer is asking me to do. He's asking me to describe an emotion associated with the game that requires a whole sort of, it's like this, and it's got this, and it's this part, and you got to read the original Monster Manual, and you got to sit this way, and, you know, it's a cup of tea. It's a cup of uh, Lapsang Shushong uh, in South Australia, in, in the house of, uh, you know, Matt Gibson's mother. That's what it is with cats around. Ornamental and actual cats around. It's that kind of thing. Like, literally, you're just trying to recreate some part of your life that you're never going to recreate again. I mean, literally, everything about my childhood in Australia doesn't exist anymore. It just doesn't exist anymore. And the stuff that I wanted there, or the stuff that was there, I didn't want. So, 
It's not even an emotion that exists in a place or a time or anything. It's something that you want to recreate in your own head. And I was talking to my wife today and I was just like, I hope I can explain this to my daughters in some way because uh, damned if they'll know when they get these books and miniatures and stuff what on earth daddy was trying to recreate. Who knows? So, Spencer Game, I hope in some way I have tried to answer your question. And again, shout outs to Barney Dicker and maybe David Sermon one day listening. Shout out to Matt Gibson as well, and uh, certainly my my man Chris Abbott. Shout outs to all these people. Like shout outs to people that are still holding this in their head. Because I looked online to try to find some good definition of this thing, and it was just like Pax Americana all the time, which no doubt is okay for some, but it just didn't seem to capture any of this for me. And I guess that's why I had lunch with Steve Jackson and Neil Livingston. I think that's why I did it was just to have a full circle. And I did have a bunch of funny, slightly work-related stories associated with uh, Fighting Fantasy 3. But I really just hope this thing's going to continue somehow. Like, someone's going to pick up on this emotion somehow. I mean, it's all modern now and what have you. No one understands the old books. Maybe that's what it's just about. It's just about growing old completely and utterly ungracefully and hopefully finding some hippie commune in Cornwall or Yorkshire that we don't have to wear nappies. It's going to be the game. We don't have to wear nappies in the game. That's that's the big thing. That's the big thing. So Tom Barbalay and Las Vegas Nevada not currently wearing a nappy. Thank you very much. Signing out.